Hello, and welcome everybody to According to Andrew, number 87, The Benefits of Nobility, hashtag bring back the nobility. Um, so this is probably going to be a controversial opinion. Um, I don't know, I guess, uh, what my audience thinks about this whole thing or what the general populace does, but I remember talking to somebody about this at Freedom Fest, and there's just a, a random guy that I, I sat down with. And uh, we were kind of chatting about, like, what are your political views, blah, blah, blah. And this is one of the things I brought up. I was like, I think we should bring back the nobility. He's like, that, that is a bit out there. Um, so I wanted to kind of explain myself as to why I think this. Uh, Vox has talked about, um, Vox Day has talked about the benefits of this a little bit on his uh, podcast. I don't think he's uh, given a full, he just... He's like, I think it would be beneficial, but I don't know if he's given, like, a full, you know, X, Y, Z reason, um, you know, where he's done, like, some where he's done uh, breakdowns of certain concepts of things in very intricate detail. Uh, this wasn't one of the, the things that was uh, kind of dedicated a stream to, but it is uh, something that he shares an opinion with Machiavellian, and I remember him bringing it up when he was talking about Machiavelli's discourses, which is going to be a letter-bound book, super excited about. Uh, but I also have a copy of it myself currently somewhere in my, my, uh, apartment house. Um, so, uh, and his, his argument is that the best structure is to have a set designated noble class. And the reason for this is that the nobility are the ones that basically created the structure and created the institutions and stuff that run the society. And it is in their best interest to make sure that that... Society continues to function and continues to run well. And this is something I agree with. And one of the reasons that you get a breakdown of these kind of things and you get this generation of politics into total politics and stuff like that is because you let foreigners start to run your country. They have no interest in maintaining any institutions. In fact, the breakdown of those institutions and becoming counter-elites is something that um, generates more uh, political power for them and potentially allows them, when the society collapses, to be the ones that build up the new... Uh, institutional networks, and therefore be the top dogs again. Uh, and I want to talk about what some of those systems could end up looking like. And just to, it, it's hard to say exactly what that would look like and how it would last long term. But I have a general framework that I don't know if it's dynamic enough. I don't know if it is, but we'll, we'll get into it. So um, <clears throat> uh, these are, these structures are uh, what Machiavelli kind of talked about in the vein of uh, Sparta and Rome. Um, basically, you have an elite patrician class who is responsible for maintenance of society. Um, and they also, so they get into some trouble. So a lot of times the elites, uh, like if you look at America, um, a lot of the elites right now are a merchant class, are top business owners, people like uh, Bezos and uh, Bill Gates and stuff like that. And they benefit from, even, even the lower down people who are just like running businesses, they benefit from, uh, increase immigration so that they can get lower. Uh, so it puts downward pressure on, on wages. Downward pressure on wages means they have to pay less for labor and they get a higher yield, a higher uh, dollar from their own uh, thing that doesn't necessarily care about... If, if all they care about is making that money, uh, they don't necessarily care about the overall uh, structure and uh, lasting thing of society. Maybe that's something I'll talk about later is the kind of different groups and which one is the best patron of uh, maintaining a society and maintaining a nation because uh, the merging class so far has not shown itself to be very good at maintaining uh, the coherency of the nation 
Uh, but I haven't really looked at the other ones. Nobility seems like it would be a good one. Uh, just because they have an inherent interest in maintaining kind of the their current stock and in life and, and adding more people is going to, like, yeah, sure, you can add a bunch more people, but a certain percentage of those are going to rise to kind of your elite status, and then therefore they're going to put more pressure and more uh, problems on the elites themselves and cause a whole bunch of issues. So they probably aren't interested in uh, immigration for immigration's sake. Well, not for immigration's sake, but to uh, get cheaper labor. Uh, and on top of that, like, if you look at the more surf style, like, yeah, you can bring in more surfs and they can work your land or whatever. But if you have a set amount of land, like, bringing in more surfs, you know, how much does that yield more out of the land? Uh, it's a little different in an industrial society where you bring another person in and it makes it so you have to pay everybody else. It, it, over time, it equates to you have to pay everyone else less to get the same amount of production out. Um, and also potentially bringing that person on also increases your production. That isn't necessarily true um, with nobility and stuff like that. There might be some instances where they, they have 20 serfs or something like that, and uh, but they have enough land to be worked by 40, and then they maybe want to bring some people on. But, uh, you know, that potentially would be covered by uh, kids being born and uh, serfs moving from one area to another. I'm not super up on how uh, serf contracts worked and how serfs could be transferred between nobles, if that was even an option. Um, but, uh, cause a lot of times they're tied to the exact land that they were working. Uh, but it doesn't seem to really be an issue based on, uh, the secular cycles book that I worked, uh, I read because it was more, uh, they had enough land to work and cultivate and to feed themselves. And then over time, as populations grew, that land shrunk. Anyway, bit of a side tangent, but it relates. Um, <clears throat> uh, so continuing on with. Uh, why you want this privileged king class in uh, power and their <clears throat> specific ambitions and stuff like that align with keeping your society uh, coherent. Uh, <clears throat> uh, not exactly that, but basically, uh, I would like to see it structured in the Roman uh, system where they're... So there's two, two issues with these. So you can have it where they get paid or they don't get paid. And I would like the word they don't get paid. Now, you can argue that there's a lot of corruption and stuff like that, and they're going to have backhand deals and, and do things that are going to personally benefit them to gain more money. And one, even with the amount that they're paid right now in the United States, they do that anyway. So there's one. Two, if you have this clear delineation, generally there was different laws and different rules for the nobility. Now that, on the face of it, sucks. It's You don't want rules for the uh, but not for me kind of stuff. <clears throat> but here's the thing. If they're going to do it anyway, it's probably better to just have it written down. And then they can't just kind of whimsically, like, at least it's it's clear, okay, yes, you have these certain privileges, but because you have these privileges, you also have these responsibilities. With those responsibilities comes all the X, Y, and Z uh, expectations and stuff like that. It'll be easier to hold them accountable for bad actions and stuff like that. And that could, I could be wrong on that. But it seems our current system isn't working, so I'm willing to, you know, roll the dice and see what happens. <clears throat> um, so with that, uh, I also like the idea of the privileged class uh, trading their money for power in the political positions, and they do not, as they do not come uh, being paid, but the privilege is afforded them. In society, should make this a non-issue. Uh, there's also a clear delineation between the elites and non-elites, making it clear who is responsible for what uh, to make society dynamic. Uh, enough to face an ever-changing series of obstacles, especially in an industrial society where, you know, for thousands of years we're 
uh, or agrarian. And now we're industrial and we're, this is still pretty new. We're still figuring out kind of some of the dynamics and there might be uh, pretty regular dynamics like are laid out in secular cycles, but we're still figuring a lot of that out. Uh, I mean, we just kind of figured out the agrarian cycle thing. We're past that stage. Uh, and then anyway, um, you need an ex uh, you need to be dynamic to an extent um, and allow the elites to kind of come in and out. And so the way but you don't want you want the fluidity of elites, but you also don't want to water down your founding people. Because those founding people are important, uh, and their ranks can expand by bringing in and uh, marrying like outside their ranks, and that's how you can kind of bring them in. Is you can have your because um, obviously you don't want to go Habsburgs, right? You don't you don't want to be marrying like cousins and stuff like that, and get serious genetic deform uh, deformities and stuff like that. So you want the the pool from which they can select. Uh, potential partners from to be large enough that that's not going to happen, but also small enough that it uh, isn't going to create too much crazy inner elite uh, competition. And I have an idea later on that I'll discuss, which would cause crazy inner elite uh, competition, but I think it'd be interesting regardless. Uh, and could be kind of, well, I don't know if it'd be fun because usually inner elite conflict means uh, civil war and a lot of bloodshed and stuff, but it's an interesting idea. At the very least. So the the way I had this broken down in my mind was four different classes. So to keep the... You would basically have a delineation between uh, noble, noble families, who are the basically the founders, the ones who built the original society, and therefore it is their job to maintain the society. And then you have your commoners. Then these two groups are divided basically into an upper and lower house. So you have... You have your nobility, and you have your elite nobility, and you have your um, co commoner nobility, uh, everyday nobility, nobility that isn't uh, up to the caliber and up to the, the scale that they need to be. And then you have, on the other side, in your commoner group, you have your elite commoners, and then you have your commoners, your plebeians type groups. So those are kind of the four um, groups. And I think this would... Uh, work well and you would limit which power like you could limit what power sectors each one would have so i would say the plebeians don't get any power <clears throat> that might sound harsh but that um generally has worked throughout society is uh as we've seen with voting and things like that like not everybody cares or wants they just want a stable semi-functional society in which they can go about their daily thing they don't care about politics they don't care about any of that stuff they don't want to get involved with it they just want to make sure that the the taxes aren't overbearing and that uh laws are somewhat fair so to represent them you would have and maybe this isn't a good idea because a lot of times they're these groups kind of end up in their own little bubbles but you would have uh your successful rich kind of um commoner class and they would represent basically the plebeian class and this is kind of how it works already in the united states and i'll i'll show you as a, a comparison once i kind of go through all these groups so once you reach a certain level of status uh, then you can become uh this i i okay so here's the four names so on, on the nobility side the t the top level uh group the elite nobility are the patriarchs 
the lower tier nobility are the patricians. The elite uh, commoners are the patrons, and the commoner class is the commoners or the plebeians. <clears throat> so those are the, the four names I just put there for placeholder. But that way you'll know what I'm talking about as I'm going through these. Uh, so the plebeians or the commoners are the backbone of society, but ultimately have uh, limited or no political power. Uh, the patricians, who are the elite families, uh, would be elite families who have fallen on hard times, and while they still have a legacy, are re regulated to more minor roles until they can regain their previous glory. So uh, they're, they mismanaged their finances, they did, uh, did things that were not becoming of a noble family, and therefore they were... Uh, their higher level status, their ability to gain upper level uh, elite status was quenched. But there's a path back, and I think that will help with some of the uh, relief of uh, elite overproduction and stuff like that. And I'll get into it uh, and address elite overproduction a little bit later. Uh, the patrons are the group of well-to-do commoners uh, that are not a part of the original founding, but are nonetheless of elite quality. Patrons would be responsible for some institutions like the Tribune uh, from Rome, as an example, uh, and some other primary, uh, and their primary job is to represent the plebeians. Another institution that would probably fit their role pretty well would be uh, like a House of Commons um, or a, uh, what is it, the, the, the House of Representatives in the United States. Both those fit that group pretty well. <clears throat> uh Last you have, or wait, patrons, yeah. Last you have the patriarchs who are the elite of the elite, or elite of the nobles, uh, and these are the top-ranked noble families that occupy the top positions within government. Uh, using the U.S., so, uh, yeah. So I'll use the USA as an example quick. Now, using the USA system as an example, it would probably be best for the uh, patricians to occupy, or the patriarchs, my bad, the elite of the elite, uh, to occupy the federal aspects of the government, your president, your Supreme Court, your Senate. Uh, while the patricians occupy more state levels, your governors, your circuit judges, your uh, state senators. <clears throat> the patrons would be allowed to occupy uh, the very local, like your city boards, your uh, local judicial courts, uh, municipal courts, uh, and municipal systems. Uh, the highest position that they would be able to achieve is, like I said, the uh, uh, House of Commons or uh, House of Representatives in the United States. And then the plebeians are not allowed to go into... Uh, political life and we basically this basically exists in reality right now but it there isn't it's not like there's no hard line rules as to like what group can go into this and um there is some flow between these different groups it doesn't there's a lot of social uh constructs i know people use that word in the wrong but like there's a lot of um social and economic and a lot of varying reasons why one group or another isn't really allowed into the other one but if somebody is if a commoner is very successful like a donald trump they can shoot all the way to the pre presidency um it there there was a lot of reasons why that caused issues with the current ruling class as it were but um these kind of things can uh adjust uh so to kind of give you my official written statement on this uh, this in reality is probably how the elites are portioned out in American society already. It just doesn't have that clear delineation, uh, and there is no strict laws that prevent plebeians 
uh, from rising the ranks and getting all the way to the top spot, it's just very, very unlikely. Even though there are many customs and other social economic ways uh, to block this path for most people without having to outright say it's law, uh, which is kind of a sneaky way of doing it. <laughs> um, so I think it would also be very useful to formalize how you go from one group to another. Now, this might be way too rigid for how society changes and stuff like that, but it at least gives, like, it. it's kind of, I don't know, I guess I look at the world in, in the sense of, like, a game, like, just tell me what the rules are, and then I'll figure out how to play. And then it'll be those people that are, are like, uh, the spiffing Britain stuff who uh, just try to figure out how to break the game and uh, and ruin everybody's fun. Not ruin everybody's fun, but that's their thing. So they'll probably break the system the immediate second I put something in place, or anybody does. Um, but it's an interesting idea. So... Uh, so it'd be nice to have a formalized way to move into and out of these various groups. Uh, so if you're a commoner, you know, you need to make $100,000 a year, and then you're no longer a commoner, you're in this other class. Uh, if you're a nobility, you need to uh, do things that are seen as of noble status, uh, I don't know, spending so much money on wine and entertaining certain guests and having enough money to do so or some crap like that. I don't know. But there would be some kind of... Uh, system. Now, this is probably too rigid uh, for the dynamic world that we live in, especially considering that industrialization is fairly new and we're still trying to figure out exactly how to structure society. But this is effectively how things were formalized in the agrarian society uh, with landed nobility. Um, but the Industrial Revolution kind of flipped that whole system on its head. You had your barons, you had your um, your lords, you had your knights. There there was a way to get from one... To, you, you worked as a squire, then you became a knight... Uh, knights if they served faithfully or whatever could be granted land then you became a noble like there was some it wasn't super clear but there was at least some understanding of the path and how you get there and what you kind of had to do and for the general person it was never going to happen and you want to know what most people were fine with that uh so let's see here do do, do. i turned to the system um i think it'd be interesting if a new system like uh the noble one that was built, to, uh, a new noble system was built, but for industrial societies. The aspect of it in our, our society, uh, there are aspects of it in our society, but isn't delineated, uh, like I had talked about uh, with the barons and such. This is probably overstating the case of the medieval era, uh, as it was very unclear who the barons were loyal to and stuff like that. There was a lot of uh, going back and forth and, and changing alliances and and owning a certain amount of land, and it became kind of like who owned what land became very kind of confusing. So it, you know, maybe our current society does reflect that society more than I am giving it credit for. Uh, but I think once it became more formalized, once you had the uh, central monarchs kind of really take over and, and become the th main thing and kind of subsume the noble families, uh, they were able to take a lot of that structure, kind of formalize it, bring it into their power structure, and then it was kind of like a clear thing. And a lot of it was just giving people favors for be, basically being friends and loyal to the, the crown. But quite frankly, that is a currency. Loyalty is a currency. Um, and when you're somebody that's wielding that much power and stuff like that, yeah, you don't want somebody, you want someone who's loyal and not incompetent. But if you have uh, competent but untrustworthy, like, that's going to be a knife in the back, man. That's that's a dangerous game to be playing. So it's it makes sense why loyalty is rewarded. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> um, 
So a couple last side things. That's that's kind of like the coherent aspect of it. But uh, there's a couple of side things that I wanted to talk about uh, that are in the same vein. So I thought it would be kind of interesting. Uh, so I was talking about elite overproduction earlier and how that's going to be an issue uh, if this gets implemented. But I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to see if I didn't have to live through it, what would happen. So uh, to go towards that thing of like saying, okay, there's clear delineations. And when you hit a certain le- level of success, you move up to the next tier. And, uh, you know, I had those four groups, but like, let's say your commoner group, you could go from commoner as it works now and all the way to the top, but you had to kind of go through each stage. So you were a commoner, then you, uh, became a elite commoner, then you became a lower level noble and then, uh, upper level noble because I can't remember the the names I gave for these. That was a terrible idea. I don't know why I did that. Uh, so, uh, I think it would be interesting if, uh, if you served in the house for six terms, which would be 12 years, that you are now considered part of the elite in America and therefore can no longer represent the common folk because you've lost touch. You're like, there's certain aspects where it makes sense. Like you shouldn't be able to represent these people because you don't know what it's like to be a normal person anymore. Uh, therefore you cannot hold office, uh, and either in that you cannot hold office as a commoner, which would be your house of representatives area. And you need to seek a spot as the Senate in the Senate or the executive branch. Uh, this, <laughs> there is no way this would not, uh, cause elite overproduction, but in the current state of things, maybe this is a good thing, uh, which I think we might be in a state of elite overproduction right now. Actually, we definitely are. Um, but yeah, so the current frictions within the United States would only get worse if this happened, uh, because now you have, there's like 500 something representatives. And after 12 years, those 500 said representatives, like, let's just say we started now, they, they all decided to serve other uh, six terms. Now you have 500 something senators or uh, representatives that are now going to be competing for the hundred uh, Senate positions and various executive positions. Like there's not enough space for all these people. And it, it would, and then, you know, in 12 more years, you're going to have that same issue. <laughs> um, it would, it would be a very unstabilizing system. Uh, but maybe it'd be a good uh, premise for a book. Who knows? <clears throat> um, Easier to do. Um, uh, talk about the smoke scream. Do to do. Oh, that's not what we want. Okay, so <clears throat> last little thing. Uh, so I think if you take the uh, structural dynamic theory uh, or secular cycles of uh, Turchin and you combine it with a Machiavellian real politic mentality, you could create a very formidable political leader. <clears throat> And this is kind of what we wanted out of Trump. Um, but quite frankly, the people that are actually doing it are the current ruling elite to a degree. And I'll explain. Uh, actually, it almost seems like the ruling elite is somewhat aware of this fact as the way that they have behaved. Um, the way they are behaving is to act as the United as a united elite and put down populism, which is a counter elite movement that threatens to collapse their power structure. Looking at the descent dis- integrative phase before the civil war because uh, i was just reading um the secular seconds I'll, I'll probably touch on this when i do the book review it's probably coming up soon um uh, age of discord actually is what i'm reading uh so there was a you have an integrative phase and a disintegrative phase then a crisis um so the disintegration phase basically happened right before the civil war because you know civil war pretty major crisis um so 
with that, uh, you had this counter elite movement uh, basically start up. So, uh, looking at this disintegrated phase uh, before the Civil War, uh, and you have many parties coming up and lots of fractions of elite. So you had, uh, you know, the Republican Party came up. There was uh, like a Silver Party. There was, there was like 50 or 60 parties. I, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Uh, but you don't see that in the United States anymore, which is kind of interesting. Um, and let's see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, but then in today, uh, when you see attempts made like this with the Tea Party or Trumpian uh, populism, you either see a subsuming, that movement is either subsumed in the Tea Party case or just put down harshly with the Trump case. Um, and thank you, Emsworth, for the one lemon. Let's see. Uh, I was just thinking that the rules for this uh, would be a good board game or card game. That could be fun. Make it. Be, I'd probably play it. Um, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to. I was, I was pretty focused. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, that kind of covers that whole thing. Uh, and that's what I, I wanted to talk about. Um, so, thank you guys, everybody, for listening. Uh, Emsworth, you got any any last thoughts? Any last things you wanted to ask? But uh, as you guys, as he's maybe typing or whatever, I'm on, I'm BitChute, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Podbean, um, so look for me there. I've been, I said I was going to get three out a week, and uh, I'm at two. It's an improvement, all right? I'm not great uh, at, at doing this uh, full-time. So anyway, those are where I'm at, uh, so find me there. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, have yourselves a good day.